0: Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse 7. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures. ...living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, I thank for the buts in the Bible. But after that, the kindness and love of of God our Savior toward man appeared... ...not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us... ...by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost... ...which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The title of the message this morning is, The Appearance of the Love of God. The Appearance of the Love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you thank you again for the opportunity we have to assemble here today, and uh, uh, peaceably, and uh, Father, to worship you, and I pray that our worship would be in spirit and truth, we thank you for what we heard already in the Sunday School Hour and how it encouraged us and strengthened us in your truth of thy word. And Father, we pray as we look into the word of God in this hour, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us and help us to remember, to be reminded, and to put it in our minds uh, some things that would help us in the days ahead and help us to be understanding and patient with others who, with whom we may be witnessing and working and trying to evangelize so lord just help us we pray and fathers any of our midst who have never repented of sin put their faith and trust in jesus christ as a lord and savior i pray that today will be the glorious day of their salvation we pray in jesus name amen <clears throat> when i set up the password for my bank account and i'm not going to tell you what it is but When I set up the password for my bank account, I used something that was associated with something I have never forgotten. And the Lord here is telling us to put this in your mind. To embed it there in your mind. Some things. So, he says in verse 1, put them in mind. So, put them in mind. So this is an admonition to remember. To put in the mind means to cause one to remember, to bring to remembrance, or to recall to the mind. This is something that you ought to recall or remember often. And always, as we're living in this world, and I think for the purpose that it helps us, it will help us in our relationships and working with other people. Uh, people of this world. You know, sometimes you get frustrated with people of the world, don't you? Don't you get frustrated? But he's going to tell us here, look, put this in your mind. And then you remember, and you remember something about yourself. Remember something about yourself. You know, this is this is used, this uh, admonition to remember is stated in other places. It's 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, in verses 14 through 16, 2 Timothy two fourteen through 16, uh, Paul says, "...of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord. They strive not about words to no profit, but the subverting of the hearers. Study the show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness." and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. So he says, you need to remember, remind you, just study the word, and, and don't be led astray uh, about things that are of no profit. Don't spend a lot of time with things that are no profit, that have no value. Uh, Second Peter, Peter does this same thing, in, in fact, Second Peter is all about remembrance, and he uses the word remember and 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 putting in mind over and over again. Second Peter one verses twelve and thirteen, he says, "Wherefore I will not be negligent, negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, in other words, as long as I am living, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance." Knowing shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Uh, Revelation 2 tells us to remember therefore whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first work. So we need to to remember some things. So there's an admonition here to remember, and he gives several things that we need to remember. First of all, we need to remember those who rule or have authority over us. In verse 1 again of Titus 3 it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. Now, the words principalities and powers are very similar. Um, Although I think the word powers, according to the definitions that I found, uh, the word powers has the idea of a human magistrate one charged with administration law. So I think it refers specifically to human authorities or civil authorities in our world well, the word principalities has the idea of, of a more broad, it's a more broad term. It simply refers to those in the first place, or rule, uh, or those in authority over us. So it could be uh, in the home, in the church, it can be in the world, in the workplace. You know, we're to, we're to be subject, you know, as Christians, we're to be subject to principalities and powers, and it says to obey magistrates, uh, Again, that word magistrates means a ruler or a superior, and we're to be, to be obedient to them. Uh, by the way, this word is used in Acts chapter 5 when the Peter and John are summoned before the Sanhedrin, and they say they command them not to preach anymore in this, word, in this name, and they said we ought to obey God rather than men. And so God was the higher authority there, so... So we're to be subject unto those in authority, and it isn't that they were not subject or submissive to that authority they weren't have didn't have a rebellious or a a, a anti authority spirit as we see in our world today uh, no, they just couldn't agree with or obey what they were being asked to do the and we say, we say also he says so in order, we're to uh to obey magistrates to be ready to every Good work. Now, we could sum that up by saying we're to be respectful to those over us. You know, even those that we, as Peter and John, could not follow, we're to be respectful to those over us as a good testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And and he goes on and says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, before Pilate, Pilate, witnessed a good confession. Therefore, we are to be ready, or being prepared, he says to be ready, verse 1, to every good work, we are to be ready, be prepared in readiness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, to give a proper answer to any authority, to any ruler, a right answer in a right way. Notice he says, be ready to every good work. And this was relating to the principalities and powers. So uh, the word ready means be prepared. The word good work means what harmonizes with order of society or a good deed or a noble action. You know, you can have a noble action even though you cannot follow maybe what the state is going to dictate for you to do. When Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin, it wasn't that they, did, that they acted uh, uh, disrespectful to the leaders. It's just that we can't do what you're commanding us. Because we have to obey God rather than men. But they gave, they gave a good answer. A good work. You know, their, 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 their demeanor testified that these weren't evil men. Well, see, what we see in our world today is those who who are disrupting and riding, they're they're being antagonistic and villainous to all authority. It's not a good work that they're doing. It's destructive. It's destructive. Uh, They're not being respectful to authority. You know, I have often said, if you are disrespectful to a police officer, you deserve to be disrespected. They're the authority. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, 1 Peter 3.15, when he says, But sanctify the Lord God, God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer... To every man to ask you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we're to give an answer. And Peter, here's Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin, who has commanded them not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. And, and they have, you know, God is in their hearts, and He's foremost and preeminent. And, and there they were ready to give an answer. And they said, you know, we, can, you know, we cannot help but preach in His name the resurrection of Christ. For we ought to obey God. They didn't didn't talk disrespectful or villainize or anything like that. No, they just said, you know, this is the reason. And they gave it with meekness and fear. And so, after all, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And we are to let our light shine before men. They may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And by doing this, we, it says we're not to speak evil. Verse 2 says, to speak evil of no man. Now, they didn't speak evil of the Sanhedrin. Even though the Sanhedrin was, was commanding them not to do something that God had commanded them. They didn't speak evil of them. That word to speak evil means to speak reproach, reproachfully, to rail at, or revile. Uh, you know, Proverbs 16, 23 and 24 says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. So we're not to speak evil, speak reproachfully. We're not to be brawlers, he says. He goes on and says, No brawlers, verse, verse 2 again. That means not contentious. Contentious, or, or eager for a fight, or looking for a fight. You know, sometimes I've heard of people saying, they came here looking for a fight. You know, I, I've heard a set of preachers, they came here looking for a fight. We ought not to be looking for a fight, or trying to get into a fight. Not contentious, but gentle. That word gentle means equitable, fair, mild, gentle... James chapter 3 and verse 17 says the, that the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then gentle, and easy to be entreated. Uh, showing all meekness unto all men. Verse 2 again says that word showing means to demonstrate or to prove, whether by an argument or whether by your actions, were to show meekness. That word meekness means a mildness of disposition, a gentleness of spirit. You know, meekness is really defined as power under restraint. Power under restraint or under control. You know, even though you may be right, you may have the authority, you need to be under restraint or under control. And so, these are things that we, we, he says, we need to be put in our minds. You know, we are, we are more and more becoming, uh, 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 the world is becoming more and more hostile to truth and to righteousness. And we're going to be confronted more and more with, with things and challenged uh, 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 according to the truth of the word of God and, and whether we're going to obey God or man. And so we have to be mindful of these things. And we also need to remember, the third thing we need to remember is, you know, that we were in the world, we were of the world, and we were like the world. Notice I said were. Notice verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. You know, he's, what he's really saying is look, it's foolish to speak evil of men, it's foolish to be a brawler, it's not foolish to be gentle. It's foolish to not be subject to principalities and powers. It's foolish. It's foolish. It's to act foolish. But he says, we were, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And there's a, there's a, quite a list there of things. And he's saying we were in the world, we were of the world, and we were like the world. You know, we can fuss and fume and get disgusted with the world and angry and all we want, but were we different before the Lord saved us? You know, we were all without God. We we're all the children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 2 tells us. That word foolish means not understanding. It means to be unwise. Without understanding what the will of the Lord is. Disobedient means unpersuasable. Could not be persuaded. Uncompliant. You ever heard the statement? Oh, it doesn't matter what you tell him, he's going to do the opposite. That's unpersuasable. Or just uncompliant. Deceived. Through ignorance, society has the idea of through ignorance being led aside from the path of virtue to go astray in the sin. Serving divers lusts, yielding to various forbidden desires, desire of pride. And, you know, if you think about this context and the guy who's writing this using, uh, under inspiration of the Spirit of God, is Apostle Paul. He was a proud Pharisee. You know, God hates pride. Pleasures, the word Strong uh, Strong's decides, describes this word pleasures as sensual delights. And Peter, in 2 Peter 2.13 says, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count up pleasure to riot in the daytime. And that's where the word is used, has the idea of, of giving over to sensual delights even in the face of people in the daytime. And of course, you know, in New Testament times, they had their 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 shrine prostitutes and and that was typical for an an approved conduct for for married even married men to go there and visit that. And so he says that, and they were and he says living in malice, that means ill will or desire to injure. You know, it's not enough anymore that that you you have a different opinion. If you're conservative and have a different opinion, it's not enough. It's not just, okay, if you have a different opinion. They want to do you harm. Let me give you an illustration. I just had a women's march here in Raleigh. And a young lady was kind of protesting. She did nobody any harm. But somebody followed her into a bathroom. And Assaulted her. See, it isn't okay to have a just to have a different opinion anymore. They're going to do you harm. Going to do you harm. That's ill will, living in malice, envy, jealousy, hateful means that that they detest it. And then it mean then he and then he adds the word hating one another. That means the idea of pursuing with hatred not just that I hate you but I'm going to pursue you with hatred pursue you with hatred this he says this is this is what we were in the world you know Jesus said in John 15:18 the world hate you know that it hated me before it hated you and again remember this was written by inspiration of the holy spirit by a man who was made righteous who before was like what he was just written like what he just wrote Can you imagine the remorse in his heart as he's reminded and he says to put them in mind? What he was as a sinner, opposing God and opposing God's people. Living to please himself, he was hateful. Hating one another, he was pursuing Christians who did him no harm. He pursued them with hatred. You know, the Bible tells us in Acts 8.3 that as for Saul he made havoc of the church, entering every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Chapter 9, verses 1-2 says, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that he found any of this way, that whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. See, this was the former conduct of Paul, who was then known as Saul of Tarsus. And so He says, We're to put ourselves in mind that we ourselves were sometimes foolish. Now, what's the implication here? See, we're not to get to thinking we're somehow better than everyone else. And we look at the world, and we look at the sin, and we look at the debauchery, and we look at the hatred and the division in the world. That's where we were. But by the grace of God. Now, you might say, well, I, I never. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you had parents who trained you not to be like that. But I guarantee you, if you've never had any training, you would be like that. You would be like that. Because that's human nature. Human nature is all about me, it's all about self, it's all about my pleasure. That's human nature. But when when God comes in, it changes human nature. You know, the Waldensians were persecuted not only in their places of residence, but wherever they would flee, they were pursued and hunted down like a deer being chased. They begged, just leave us alone. But they would not. And this is where we all begin and would be without any training, without any teaching, without any discipline. We would just live to please ourselves without regard for the lives of well-beings and others. That's Genesis chapter 6 all over again. That's human nature. Without God. And so Paul says, put them in mind. So put this in your mind. Lest you be high-minded in your own conceits. You know, Israel became high-minded in their own conceits, and because they became high-minded in their own conceits, they ended up just like that. And God set them aside. We don't want God to set us aside because we come high, become high-minded in our own conceits. But there's a second thing that he says you ought to put in your mind. Verse 4. We need to remember the goodness of God. Verse 4, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Again, contrast that with the person and goodness of God, of our what we were. And we see here the kindness and goodness of God. The word kindness is used four times. It's also translated goodness four times. It's also translated good deeds. And... Uh, in Romans chapter 2, in verses 4 through 11, Paul gives us a, a warning not to despise the goodness or kindness of God. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every me, every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, Of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there's no respect of persons with God. So we're not to we're not to despise or to disregard the goodness of God toward us. We need to remember that. We need to put it in our minds. That the goodness of God it's the goodness of God that has brought us to repentance. Goodness of God, the kindness of God. And the love of God. He says the kindness and love of God toward man. And your love of God, mankind, has the idea of benevolence or philanthropy. This is the greatest deed of philanthropy in history of mankind. That God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4 and verse 9. 1 John 4 and verse 9. says, Herein, in this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but He loved us. No, we didn't love God. He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation of That is the satisfaction or the payment for our sin. The love of God is manifest. And so he says the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. So we remember the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the love of God. We remember that our our Savior appeared. The word Savior means deliverer. That's what he came for, was to deliver us from our sins. Colossians chapter 1, and verses 1 through 4, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have toward all saints drop down to verse 13 Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness is it Christ hath delivered us from the power of darkness hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins and and we see also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verses 9 and 10 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, where the Bible says, And for God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation, or that is, deliverance, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Of course, they're talking about the rapture there. So, our Savior, or our Deliverer, appeared uh, to us. He became, and the word appeared means He became... Clearly known or showed himself. You know Saul, that bigoted, hateful, hating one another, pursuing with hatred, Jew, on the road to Damascus. And the Savior appeared. He showed himself. He showed himself. And and the love of God was manifested for that hateful. Bigoted Jew. It became clearly known. Paul cried out, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. See, this Savior appeared. He showed himself. Hebrews 9, 26, the end of that verse says, But now once in the world, end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Sacrifice of himself. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. See, he appeared for us. Love of God appeared in a man, Jesus the Christ, the anointed of God, to be the deliverer from sin, be the acceptable sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. You know, he appeared toward us. It's an offer to all mankind. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Matthew 1.22 says, He he came to save us from our sins. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the Savior appeared to all. He appeared to deliver us all. So we need to remember the goodness of God demonstrated to us. The third thing we need to remember is remember our salvation, our deliverance from sin, death, and hell. And it's all of God. It's all of God. Remember, it's a gift. All we do is put out our hand and receive it. Notice what he says. In verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not by anything we've done. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 9. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, so we were separated from God, hath quickened us. So so God, who is rich, hath quickened us, who's given us life together with Christ, by grace you are saved, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages of the come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves this is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." So it's all of God. God who is rich in mercy hath quickened us, hath given us life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, it's all by the mercy of God that we, are, we can be saved. Yeah, and of course, mercy is the idea God withholding or not giving us what we deserve. You know, the wages of sin is death. So what do you and I deserve? Death. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That death is separation from God, which means hell, the lake of fire, for all eternity. But Lamentations 3 says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. All the kindness and love of God toward man appeared. And has brought righteousness to us. Salvation or deliverance. And this salvation or deliverance is not by works, but it's by washing of regeneration. Now, this is a terminology we don't often use. Most people probably don't understand. But it says, but not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So this work is of the Holy Spirit. He calls it washing of regeneration. Now the Bible uses here some figures of speech to describe spiritual truth. Washing. If you look that up, in a concordance you're going to have this bathing. Kind of idea of washing yourself clean. Or, it'll give you the word baptism. You see, this is a, it's a figure of speech again, as, as 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 an explanation or description of some spiritual truth of the Lord washing us from our sins, washing away our sins, and baptism is a picture of that. Look at First Peter chapter two and verse twenty-one. First Peter chapter two and verse twenty-one. First Peter 2, and verse 21. Um I think it's Second 2 Peter 2:21. 2, no. First Peter 3:21. I'll get it right here. First Peter 3:21. First Peter 3:21. It says, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth all thou now save us. Now, if you, that's all that you'd read, you would read, he would say, oh, I get saved by baptized, by being baptized. But, let's read the rest of it. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it isn't the baptism that washes you from your sins. It's the answer of a good conscience that you've repented of your sins. It's a spiritual truth, a surrender of the will. The answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you've accepted Christ's death. And so you've buried yourself. You're saying that I am dead in sins. And I need washed by the blood of Christ. And you resurrect. You come up out of the water, picturing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which gives you eternal life. Pictures eternal life. Resurrection of Christ. Life of Christ. So... You know, Revelation 1.8 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us, and that's the same word, washed us from our sins in his own blood. So it's not the baptismal pool that washes us from our sins. It's the answer of a good conscience. A surrender of the will. Accepting. It's the idea of accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin and his resurrection. And believing in his resurrection to give us eternal life. So, so, baptism pictures that of being dead in sin, cleansed and washed, and resurrected to new life in Christ. Your regeneration, so if you put that with regeneration, you need to put the two things together. Regeneration is defined as the new birth, reproduction, renewal, a recreation, a recreation, the production of a new life consecrated to God. Second Corinthians five seventeen says: Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away; behold, all things are become new. And, and so there's this washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So there's this there's this new birth that takes place, but and this this washing is symbolic, or this baptism is symbolic of that washing of the Spirit of God. It's, and again, he says it's. Uh, By the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The word renewing means a renovation, a complete change for the better. Complete change. From the inside out. It's a surrender of the will, a change of the heart. A new nature. A spiritual nature. That word renewal is used in Romans 12 too. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing. Again, changing of your mind. And so, this salvation, this salvation, remember that salvation is by washing of regeneration, not by works that we have done, but by the work of the Spirit of God. Thirdly, we need to remember, salvation is abundantly Bestowed. On us. Notice verse six, which He shed on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's no such thing as just getting in. No, you're either in or you're out. You're either saved or you're lost. It's abundantly bestowed. That word. Which he shed on us. The word shed on us means to bestow or distribute largely. The word abundantly, of course, means richly. Uh, you know, God poured out his love abundantly. First John 2 says that he is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For the whole world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John ten ten says, and I give Him, uh, and I give uh, John ten ten, and uh, thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Abundantly, you see, this is this is writ- abundantly bestowed. First John four. And verses 7 through 10 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that he might, we might live through Him here in His love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, God poured out abundantly. He manifests Himself abundantly. You know, he, he allowed the Son of God to be made a spectacle by, by the powers of the world, dying as a sacrifice for our sin. Yet, 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 no man took his life. He was made a spectacle, but no man took his life. He gave it. He gave it. What does Titus do? As verse 14 say, who gave himself. John 10, 18 says, I laid down my life, that I might take it again. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. No man taketh my life from me, he said. He was God. He could have called 10,000 angels and destroyed them sinners. He didn't. See, God abundantly manifest himself through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, the creator became subject to his creation. Think about it. The creator became subject to his creation for the suffering of death that he might justify many. Remember, salvation is abundantly bestowed. Fourthly, we remember we are declared righteous by the righteous one himself. Notice verse 7. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we are declared righteous. The word justified means to declare righteous, it means to declare, to pronounce one to be just or such as he ought to be, to be judged worthy. To declare worthy, to treat us worthy. You know, he treats us as worthy. He treats us as sons and daughters, worthy of his love. Not because we are, but he has made us worthy. As the song says, he made me worthy. And now by his grace. He made me worthy. You see we have been declared. Guiltless. Or you know we, we. We could be accused. Or we were accused. But we've been acquitted. Of the charges brought against us. And God himself. Paid the penalty it's like the judge takes off his road and comes down and says bailiff I pay the penalty he goes free he goes free there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit because we've been declared righteous through Jesus Christ By his grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us. Jesus knew knew no sin. Who knew no sin? That we might be made righteous in him. And now God, our Father, sees us just as righteous as he is because it's his righteousness that we have imputed to our account and so we're declared guiltless before god a fifth thing we see here we need to remember is not only we've we been decla- we've received this abundant salvation we've been declared righteous by the righteous one himself We are made heirs with God. Verse 7 again says that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're made heirs. You know, an heir is one who receives his allotted possession by right of sonship. And we've been declared the sons and daughters of God. Therefore, we have rights as heirs. As heirs. You know, there have been some families I'd like to got adopted into so I could declare that I was a son, so I could get the heir, become an heir. But, you know, for some reason nobody, why me? Uh, but anyway, you know, but we, we are heirs with God through Jesus Christ. The definition goes on and says, Of Christians exalted by faith to the dignity of sons of God, and hence to receive the blessings of God's kingdom, Promise to us. Romans 8, 17 and 18 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Galatians 4, 7. Says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know, I read in Revelation chapter 19 of the new city, New Jerusalem, and the gates of pearls and gold, and the streets of gold. And then I read about the armies of heaven. Following him who sitteth on the white horse. And the armies of heaven follow him. That's us. We're heirs. He's coming to set up. He's coming to destroy the wicked of this old world and to set up his kingdom. We're coming with him. We're heirs of all that. He says, it's, you know, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, you remember in part of that passage, he says in, in verse uh, uh, 6, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. Raise us up. You know, I was a nobody. I still am a nobody, but I all say I'm somebody, because I'm a child of God. I'm a somebody going to somewhere. But, you know, we still live in this world. and We're not to be high-minded. We're to put in our minds, don't forget, where you were, lest you be high in your conceits, become high-minded. See, Paul's writing to Titus, and he's saying, look, Titus, I sent you to Crete, and I want you to tell them Christians at Crete You put this in their mind. Yeah, the Cretans were not a nice people. In fact, chapter 1 and verses 11 through 16 describes their conduct. They were kind of a barbarous people. But it says, You put them Christians in mind that they were once foolish too, they were once disobedient too, lest they become high minded you know we can get disgusted with the world to the point where we become antagonistic against it and not concerned and care about their eternal souls so we need to be put in mind mindful of what we are we were we also need to remember what we are in Christ and what we have in Christ of course, thereby we can examine how we are conducting ourselves in relationship with Christ and others in this world. Do we exemplify the spirit of Christ? Do we have the leading of his presence in their lives? Have you received of his abundant kindness and love the person and sacrificial work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior? Put them in mind. Remember these things. How is it with you this morning? Is Christ your Savior, your Deliverer? Are we exemplifying Him to a lost and dying world?